next to next poem he's talking about saints and hypocrites again one of his favorite subjects saints versus hypocrites there's some real beauty here he starts out by saying worldly senses are the ladder of the earth when we think that we live in the world when we think the world is our home then every step of the way it's our ladder, the earth itself, our self-perception is our ladder unless we live in the divine presence. He says, but if you're on the spiritual path, spiritual senses are the ladder of heaven. If you're in the mind, you're only interested about going deeper within the mind. That's what he's saying. But if you know that you're on a spiritual path, you're really only interested in going deeper into the spiritual path. This is what he's very saying so simply. He says the health of the former, the health of the worldly people is sought by leeches. Well, when someone got sick back, you know, almost uh, over a thousand years ago, one of the first things they did to try and cure you is they put blood-sucking leeches on your skin to leach the poison out of your blood. So he's basically, he's being very cynical about uh, human life. And he's saying, geez, if you think you're sick, um, you have no idea what's going on. I mean, you're filled with poison and you're, you're, you'll, you'll bleed to death before you're cured if you simply follow the poisons of the mind. He says, but the health of the souls come from the friend, depend on the friend. We're healthy when we're in love, you see, with nothing but our friend, but we're diseased, but only in the pangs of separation when we don't have the friend in front of us. He says, the health of the former, talking about the worldly people, arises from tending to the body and the mind to pay attention to nothing but the body and the mind, our desires. He says, but the health of spiritual people is just the opposite. He says, that of the latter, the health of the latter comes from mortifying the flesh. In other words, going beyond the body by letting it die, by letting our mind and our body die, by paying only attention to the divine presence within, that's how we become truly healthy. Because we're trying to go to heaven and worldly people are trying to go somewhere in the world. Always somewhere different. Every second somewhere different in the world. He says the kingly soul will lay waste to the body. Just let it waste away. Just let go of it. Demolish it. Forget about it. Totally forget about self-existence. That's simply the ladder of the mind. The ladder of the mind is self-existence. Self-preservation. But not of the soul. We don't care. We, we have so much faith, we just don't care. You know, I've talked about the 
accidents that I had and the NDE. I knew that my death was coming. I knew that the angels wanted me to go through it. I didn't think about death. I didn't think about losing life. I didn't think about the pain to the body. I only thought about the divine presence every step of the way. Just floated through it. This is, he's saying the same thing here. The kingly soul lays waste to the body. Who cares? Let the body disappear. Let the body die. Who cares? It's meaningless. Because he knew he's immortal. He knew that in God's presence, he's absolutely immortal. And after the destruction of the body, life is renewed. He builds it anew. But he uses the word anew. Not just again. He didn't say again. He says anew. So the, the reference here is that immortality there's in immortality of the divine presence, life is always anew. Life is always arriving every microsecond. You see at this nexus point between the divine presence and the awareness of the soul. Our awareness as a soul, our very life is refreshed anew every microsecond. He says it right here. He says, happy the soul who for the love of God has let go of family, wealth, and goods, has destroyed his house, which is the body, to find the hidden treasure within, which is God's divine presence. And with that treasure has rebuilt it, the divine presence, in a fairer sort. In other words, we're happy with the flow of the divine presence and we don't need anything else because we're recreated anew in the divine presence, in the divine awareness, in divine love, every microsecond of our life. He says, this soul has dammed up the stream, the stream of the mind, and cleaned the channel, cleaned the mirror of the mind, and then turned a fresh stream. In other words, the soul has discovered the stream of divine love, the river of divine loving consciousness within him. He has then turned a fresh stream into the channel, not just a stream anymore, but this is a roaring channel, a channel big enough for all the divine love of the Lord. He's saying, my life has become a flood of divine consciousness. It's channeled through me by God. And he says, it has cut his flesh to extract a spearhead. What he's saying here is that the divine love will now go wherever it wants to go, like a spear into the, into the world. The divine love flows as a roaring channel of love out into the world. Then he talks about grace. And... This is beautiful. He says, who can describe the unique work of grace? He's saying everything that I've been talking about is but the grace of God. Everything I've been talking about is unique. 
Every 18 I've been talking about is his work, his effort, not mine. None of it was by my hand or by my efforts. How can, who can describe the unique work of grace? We can't describe it. The minute we try, we lose it. Same way we talk about the divine presence, the minute we try and see it, define it, look at it, memorize it, we lose the divine presence. And this divine presence, he says, is a work of grace. He says, I've been forced in these poems to try and talk about it in the poetry. And sometimes it presents one appearance, sometimes another. In other words, he's admitting to the reader of the poetry that he can describe this love in a hundred different ways. But it's all just the love. It's all just the love. It's not the appearance. It's not what we hear in our ears. It's not what we see with our eyes. It's only what we experience when we're in that love. Sometimes it presents one appearance, sometimes another. Sometimes our mind will interpret what we're hearing. It will interpret what we see as an appearance. But love doesn't appear, love is. Yes, the affair of religion is only bewilderment. If we try and analyze things, we're only gonna get confused. The affair of religion is only bewilderment. Why bother? Why bother trying to memorize? Why bother trying to describe when we can simply be one with the divine presence itself? He says, he says, yes, the affair of religion is only bewilderment, not such as it occurs when one turns one back, one's back on God. The minute we try and think about God in any way, shape, or form, we're turning our back on God. We're not looking at God anymore. We're playing around in our mind with our memories and our visions and our imagination, you see. Instead of simply melting in the divine love that's at the very core of every single experience that we have. It's nothing but the divine love. He says, so this is what happens when one turns one's back on God but not when one is drowned and absorbed in him. Drowned in the love. Drowned so deeply that your body disappears, your mind disappears. And when your body and your mind disappears, you get absorbed in him. So he says, but none of this occurs when one is drowned and absorbed in him. <laughs> 